So I want you to know that this week I had um, Leadership Nashville, something that I'm doing uh, this year, and I had it on Thursday, uh, and I've enjoyed it, but that means I came home early Wednesday to work on my sermon, and I spent two or three hours working on my sermon. I was really rolling, got things going down, and then I was gone Thursday, Thursday night, got back up Friday morning uh, to come back to my sermon and try to tweak it and get it ready for this weekend, and sure enough, one of my children, who is to remain unnamed, had gotten on my computer and somehow deleted my sermon. True story. Tried all the smart tech people I could call to figure out how to retrieve it. And uh, so I got to start over Friday morning. And maybe that was God saying, I really wasn't that good to begin with. So now you start over. But somebody once sat down and they made a list of things that their mother had taught them over the years. And this is what they said. My mom taught me logic because I said so, that's why, she would say. My mom taught me religion. You better pray that that'll come out of the carpet. My mom taught me time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm gonna knock you into the middle of next week. My mom taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. My mom taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. My mom taught me behavior modification. Stop acting like your father. My mother taught me envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have wonderful parents just like you do. My mom taught me about sex. How do you think you got here? My mom taught me genetics. You're just like your dad. My mom taught me anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. My mom taught me about receiving. You're gonna get it when we get home. And my mom taught me justice. One day you will have kids and I hope that they turn out just like you. And then you'll see what it's like. Woodrow Wilson was the American president that established Mother's Day back in 1914. And when he did that, he set aside the second Sunday in May uh, as a, a special holiday to honor mothers. And he proclaimed through a joint congressional resolution that the American mother is the country's greatest source of strength and inspiration. Well, President Wilson was right because moms who truly accept the great responsibility and meaning of motherhood make a lasting difference far greater than anything we could ever measure. A poet named John Bonzer described how wonderful mothers are with these words. Mothers can do such wonderful things, make homes seem like castles worthy of kings, create an adventure just by reading a book, smiling to show how heaven must look. Mothers can heal when a little heart breaks, banish starvation with cookies and cakes. Mothers can judge each disputed case, forgiving the culprits, the docket erase. Mothers are misers who hoard baby shoes, snapshots, report cards, and things that others lose. Mothers can teach in their own special school, follow the yellow brick road and the wise golden rule. Surely mothers are angels sent here from above to help us to soar on the wings of their love. Mother's Day is a special day. 
It's a day to thank our mothers. It's a day to spend time with our mothers. For many of us, it's a day to remember our mothers if they have moved on uh, from this world. But Mother's Day can also be a hard day for people because there are many people who want to become mothers and they haven't been given that opportunity yet. Or maybe they don't have a good relationship with their mom. And so this day is very uh, awkward and difficult for them. And so we always need to be mindful that while we celebrate and give thanks for our moms, and it's, there's a lot of joy and happiness for other people, it can also be very, very hard. But since we're, we've started this wisdom series based on the book of Ecclesiastes, I want you to take some time this morning to think about your own mother and to think about the wisdom that your mother taught you while you were growing up and even the wisdom that your mother has continued to teach you if she's still alive while you are an adult. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a little bit of wisdom from you that I learned from my own mother. And this is wisdom that I treasure, wisdom that I've come back to time and time again, and wisdom that I'm trying to pass on to my own children uh, as, as Megan and I raise three of our own. In Proverbs 31, which is another wisdom book, Solomon is describing the capable wife. And Pharaoh read the passage, but Solomon says this, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Mothers who take their role seriously share their wisdom and they teach their children to be kind in an age where kindness is desperately needed. If you can raise your children to be kind to others, then you have done something right. I think of Farrell told me one time, I drive my kids off at school and I tell them before they get out of the car, be kind today. Do something kind for somebody else today. Here are four pieces of wisdom that I learned from my own mother. And uh, I'm going to share them with you. And again, I want you to think about your own uh, family life and what your mom taught you. The first piece of wisdom from my mom always had to do with, with faith. And she would tell me, you know, Clay, faith is not just something you have. Faith is something that you live out. You know, my dad was a minister, so going to church was never really an option for us, right? We went to church. There was no sleeping in at our house. Um, but my mom was the one who always showed me the difference between church and faith. Not everybody who goes to church actually lives out their faith. The church should help us live out our faith and develop our faith, but our, our faith cannot be dependent on what happens or does not happen in the church. Church isn't perfect. Church has problems and struggles, always has, led by imperfect people. The church can be hypocritical, but never give up on your faith because you have a bad experience in the church. Does that make sense? My mom had a strong faith and she maintained that faith no matter what was happening or going on at the church. And when you're a preacher's wife, right, Megan, you get to see and hear everything at the church. And it's not all spiritual, by the way, but faith is what matters. And according to Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. A relationship with Jesus Christ is what matters. That is what should anchor our faith. My mother also taught me that just because you have faith, it doesn't mean that everything's going to go your way. 
Life will still have its disappointments, its setbacks, its ups and downs, its good times, its bad times, but faith is what sustains us through it all. And faith teaches us that there is nothing that can happen in life that we can't get through with God's help and with the help of others around us, our family, our friends, our church community. You know, my mom believed that faith uh, involves spiritual disciplines. And I have this notebook that I've mentioned to you over the years that she took with her on a retreat called the Walk to Emmaus. And every Mother's Day, uh, I go back to that notebook and I look at it and I read it. And she wrote a lot of things down. Uh, she wrote this down. God calls us to be loving. God calls us to be accepting. God calls us to be honest. God calls us to be open God calls us to be willing, and God calls us to be available. And then she made this list called spiritual qualities of a disciple, and the, there were four things that she wrote down on this. A faith that is always growing, serving others in a spirit of humility, maintaining an undying hope. If you can live your life in hope uh, and promise, then, then, then you've, you can keep going through anything. And the fourth thing was learning to love others the way that God loves us. And so a strong faith will get us through anything that life comes our, throws our way. Secondly, my mother taught me the importance of having friends. And uh, it's good to see my cousin here. Uh, she's named after my mom, uh, Melanie Johnson, but she can second this. My mother had tons of friends, probably too many. Uh, she was very social. And if her friends ever needed anything, then she would be there. She taught us that old adage that to have a friend you got to go and be a friend. And so if you're sitting around wondering why you don't have any friends, ask yourself, am I being a friend to other people? In Ecclesiastes 4, Solomon says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other, but woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, I've mentioned that, that book by Arthur Brooks where he talks about the difference between deal friends and real friends. Deal friends are friends you have through business or maybe golf, and real friends are the friends who know you for who you really are. And women are much better at forming real friends than men. Men have lots of deal friends, but not as many real friends. My mom knew that friends make life worth living. We are social creatures. We are called to care for each other. And we knew that our mother was not doing well when she stopped responding to her friends because she was a lady who lived for her friends and would do anything for her friends. So the quality of your relationships and friendships in life will determine your happiness. And I still keep up with some of my mom's friends even today because they miss her because she was fun and she was reliable. Third piece of wisdom that I learned from my mother while growing up and uh, in college and grad school is a sense of adventure. My mom was always up for an adventure. Uh, she graduated from the University of Alabama, 1965. So we grew up following the Crimson Tide all over the Southeast. I don't know if there's a stadium that I haven't been to in, in my life. Uh, she loved Alabama football. She loved Bear Bryant. She loved to get in the car and go to games with no tickets. And somehow she would find tickets outside the stadium. In 1998, when my parents dropped me off at college at TCU, uh, and they, le they left and headed back to Memphis. I remember what a strange feeling that was. Three weeks later, 
TCU is playing his first home game against Oklahoma, and my mom comes back to Fort Worth. And uh, I had a date for the football game because we were pledges, told we had to bring dates, basically so the older guys could talk to them. But, um, but I, uh, I bring a date to the game, and she says, why is your mom here? Doesn't she live in Memphis? And I said, well, yes, yeah, she does, but she didn't want to miss the home football game. And so it wasn't enough for my mom to experience college again vicariously through me. She had to come back and do it herself. And she believed that life is an adventure, and she lived it. And when we lose our sense of adventure in life, and it becomes no fun, and it becomes boring and routine and mundane, then we've lost it. And that's not good. We have to hold on to that sense of adventure. Finally this morning, the fourth piece of wisdom that I learned from my mother is that you can never laugh too much. My mom laughed all the time. She had a contagious laugh. There was nothing that she loved more than to sit around at happy hour. She loved happy hour, dinner, and tell stories and laugh. One of my best friends from Memphis, a guy named Jeff Harris, is one of the funniest people you'll ever meet. And my mother absolutely loved him because he made her laugh. He didn't even have to say anything funny. And she would laugh. Laughter is the shortest distance between two people. And in a world where there is so much pain and anguish and hurt, laughter might just be the best antidote that we have. Now in that same notebook that I mentioned earlier from the retreat, uh, my mom mentioned a poem that was written by Irma Bombach, and I'd never heard of this poem before. And the poem was called, If I Had to Live My Life Over. And I want to close with these words this morning because these are powerful. If I had to live my life over, I would have talked less and listened more. I would have invited friends over to dinner, even if the carpet was stained or the sofa faded. I would have eaten the popcorn in the good living room and worried much less about the dirt when someone wanted to light a fire in the fireplace. If I had my life to live over, I would have taken the time to listen to my grandfather ramble about his youth. I would never have insisted that the car windows be rolled up on a summer day because my hair had just been teased and sprayed. I would have burned the pink candle sculpted like a rose before it melted in the storage bin. I would have sat on the lawn with my children and not worried about grass stains. I would have cried and laughed less while watching television and, and more while watching life. If I had my life to live over, I would have shared more of the responsibility carried by my husband. I would have gone to bed when I was sick instead of pretending the earth would go into a holding pattern if I weren't there for the day. I would never have brought anything just because it was practical, wouldn't show soil, or was guaranteed to last a lifetime. Instead of wishing away nine months of pregnancy, I, I, I would have cherished every moment and realized what the wonderment growing inside of me was the only chance in life to assist God in a miracle. If I had my life to live over, when my kids kissed me impetuously, I would never have said, later, later, now get washed up for dinner. There would have been more I love yous and more I'm sorry's, but mostly given another shot, I would seize every minute, look at it and really see it, live it and never give it back. Stop sweating the small stuff. Don't worry about who doesn't like you, who has more, or who's doing what. Instead, let's cherish the relationships we have with those who do love us. Let's think about what God has blessed us with. 
One mother, when asked what she wanted for Mother's Day, started to answer this way. She said, I want a pearly ring. No, 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 on second thought, I, I want to hear my husband say I love you more often. I want a new car. No, no, on second thought, I want a bear hug for my teenage son. I want a basket of flowers. No, no, on second thought, I, I want a compliment from my grown daughter. I want a bottle of perfume. No, no, on second thought, I, I just want my family to get along. I want a box of candy. No, no, on second thought, I just want another chance to show my family how much I love them. Bear Bryant once said on a Mother's Day, he said, have you called your mother today? And I would say, I wish I could call mine. Amen.